Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm Dave. If we've not met, uh, this morning's going to be a little bit different than normal. What we do here, if Two Rivers is your church home, just heads up, it's a little bit different. Uh, If it's not, this isn't what we normally do. Uh, This is going to feel a little bit more like a workshop than a normal kind of weekend. And the reason is, uh, over this whole series, we're talking about a little bit more about why we do what we do and why we teach the Bible the way that we do. So we're welcoming Amped Blend, Roan County, down in Bearden. Good morning to y'all. And uh, as we jump in today, we're going to go a little bit further than that Bible Project video. We, we have been using the Bible Project. If you've been joining in to live it out, we've been using it along the way. And we would encourage you to use it as a resource uh, because it's, it's really valuable in helping us understand more about what God's word is and what it isn't. And so as we jump in today, there's gonna be some stuff that we're gonna talk about that maybe it's stuff that you haven't heard before. Maybe it's stuff I, I, I had just that's gonna make you maybe even a little uncomfortable. There, there may be some things that you've, you've heard uh, repeated over and over again, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I thought that was true, but it turns out maybe it's not true. And so um, here's the problem. Like, we're, we're filled with just little short answers to complicated questions, and I'm gonna give you a really simple, and you're gonna be like, wow, that's simple. Yes, a really simple overview of what the Old Testament is or where it came from, but it's a really complicated issue. And those of you who are really into this, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be disappointed, okay? because we're not gonna go in great detail. And those of you who wanna dig more, there's so much more than what we're gonna be able to talk about today. Uh, What we're gonna talk about, though, is a baseline for what it looks like for us to be people who have confidence in what the Bible is and what it isn't. In particular, this weekend, we're gonna talk about what we call the Old Testament. In the Bible Project video, they call the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh, as, as it's referred to. That's its name. And so as we jump in today, as you maybe start to feel a little bit uncomfortable or maybe there's something you're like, what? I'm not sure I believe that. I want you to rest easy. Take a deep breath, okay? There's nothing that we're gonna talk about today that's actually controversial. Nothing. It's very orthodox. And there's also uh, some of the things that we're gonna talk about that, that um, people disagree. Really smart people who've invested their entire lives into researching and studying the Bible disagree. So certainly these are some issues where maybe we might have a little bit of disagreement. So, but we can rest easy knowing that the final goal is what? That by faith, we, would, we believe God has given us scripture to lead us to Jesus. It's by faith that we believe that God has given us the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, okay, to lead us to Jesus. That's the trajectory of his story. And so it's really important that we would understand, if we're gonna be a people who have confidence, that we would understand where something came from. Now, you might be like, I don't care. It's God's word, I'm good, let's move on. And I wanna encourage you, if that's your approach, that maybe you would uh, listen with just a little bit of caring, (laughs) 
Like, like just try and dig deep for a moment and care for a second that, that you go, okay, maybe if somebody were to care, come to me and say, well, where did the Bible come from? That, that you would say, maybe it's a more complicated than the overly simplistic answer, well, God wrote it. Yeah, but it's better than that. Just like God created the world. Just like God made you. Where'd you come from? God made me. You're like, well, yeah, but there was also some other stuff involved. There were a couple humans involved in making you. There were a couple people that were involved in that. They, they played a vital role in it, right? So we don't say, where did you come? Oh, God made me, but true, but it's overly simplistic. And so I, I wanna encourage you that, that as we do that, as we take the overly simplistic answer, and especially those of you with kids, the overly simplistic answer can set them up for failure. It can set them up when they encounter the humanness of the scriptures that they don't know what to do. And so what we wanna do is give you a bigger view of what God has given us. By faith, we believe God has given us scripture to lead us to Jesus. And in order for us to talk about the Hebrew Bible, we're actually gonna start in the, the Greek New Testament. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. As Paul's writing to this group of believers who are living in a Greek city by the name of Corinth, he writes to them, and, and if you've been around church, this could be a super familiar text. If you haven't, this may be something new for you, but in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, he writes, um, now I would remind you, brothers, and that word means um, fellow believers there. So it's brothers and sisters. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." Paul is connecting the dots for uh, the followers of, of Jesus who are living in Corinth. He, he's connecting the dots to that, that Jesus is this person. The word is an anointed one. In the Old Testament, it's the word Messiah. In the New Testament, it's the word Christ. It's the same word. Both words mean the same thing, the anointed one. There's this future king that's going to come, and, and he says that that is Jesus. And he uses this phrase in accordance with the scriptures. So what does it mean? What does in accordance with the scriptures mean? And first of all, it begins with this word scriptures. That word is according to the writings. And by the time that, that Paul's writing this letter, it, it, you could say, as he's referring to the writings, they considered them the sacred writings. According to the sacred writings, this is what happened. And so for many of us, as we read this, we come to this and we're like, okay, I, I, I'm gonna just trust that Paul knows what he's talking about. I'm good. Yeah, he's, it's in accordance with the scriptures. Or, or some of us might go, okay, well, what's the reference? And we might be a little bit more curious. We might be like, well, where in the scriptures does it say that? What, in what chapter of what book and what verse does it say Messiah will be 
crucified and raised on the third day. Where does it say it? And the answer is, it doesn't. Nowhere in the sacred writings are you going to find where it says Messiah will be crucified and on the third day, Messiah will be raised. That doesn't say it. So what's he saying? And notice he doesn't say according to the prophet. He says according to the writings, according to the scriptures. He's referring here specifically to what we call the Old Testament. And what's he referring to? He's referring to this idea that emerges in the scriptures where the the third day is a biblical theme that's revealed in scriptures. What's the theme of the third day? The theme is God brings deliverance on the third day. Salvation comes on the third day. You're like, how do you get that theme? Well, it's just told throughout God's story, beginning with Abraham as he uh, takes Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. It's on the third day that salvation comes as they arrive at the sacrifice and God brings salvation. It's used in in, uh, Joseph's story as his brothers come down to Egypt and he puts them into captivity. He's On the third day that they're released and they experience salvation from imprisonment. It's the third day in Exodus chapter 19 that God tells the children of Israel to be prepared, that he's going to show up, he's coming on the scene, and so prepare yourselves because on the third day I'm coming, and then he does it. On the third day, the presence of God descends upon the mountain, and they experience the presence of God on the third day. The prophet Hosea writes about the third day and the prophet Jonah is delivered from the great fish on the third day. It's a theme. And so if we're going to understand according to the scriptures, we actually have to understand the scriptures. The story. Not the chapter and the verse and the cross reference. Let me just jump back in that that thing called the Old Testament. Jump back. Okay, I see that and jump back. And, and, And that's fine but we really don't understand what God's saying. We really don't understand God's story. You see, scripture is God's story. And if we approach scripture as a rule book, then we're gonna be really, really concerned did we get the right rule book. If it's about what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, what can I do, what can I get away with, what can I get away with, we get really concerned about do I have the right rules? Is this the right rule book? Can I do that? Am I in? Am I out? Well, those questions kind of get answered. But it's not the point of God's story. The point of God's story is that he is bringing salvation through this promised Messiah who's come to set all things right as the completion of God's story who's invited us to become followers of his, and as we become followers of his, we are recreated in the image of God once again, where that image is finally reestablished, where we can finally be the people we were made to be in right relationship with God, imaging him to the world, which means ruling and reigning with him in the world, not someday, but today. We're helping God rule and reign in the world today. You've never thought of yourself that way. That's not a future thing. That's a today thing. 
as we live following Christ as citizens of the kingdom of God. And for us to do that, we have to understand where the Bible came from. So we're gonna talk about some uh, key concepts. And the three key, key concepts that we're gonna spot, uh, talk about over the next three weeks are inspiration, authority, and inerrancy. And um, some of you may be like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Some of you haven't heard those words before. Um, I wanna encourage you that if you have heard this word inspiration, for, uh, don't jump ahead of me, okay? Because I'm gonna challenge your view maybe of inspiration. That maybe we need to expand our view of the inspiration of scripture. And as we do, I wanna encourage you, the story's better than you think it is. And so as we jump into this, um, we're only gonna cover inspiration this week, okay? We're not gonna get to authority and inerrancy. That's gonna come in a couple weeks. Um, Next week, we're gonna talk about what is the Greek New Testament. And then the last week of this series, we're gonna talk about questions and responses. So as you go on the bottom of it out and you ask your question, we're gonna do the best that we can to group them together and answer the questions that you have about what the Bible is. And so that'll be the last week of this series. And the whole reason that we're doing this series is as we teach the Bible, why do we do it? Why don't we teach self-help lessons? Why why don't we teach like the best way for you to be the, the mom that God created you to be or to be the wife God created you to be, to be the husband God created you to be, to why don't, why, don't we, why don't we teach that? A lot of churches teach that. I'm not saying they're wrong. That's their thing. But, but our thing is not that. It's to follow Jesus. That's the thing. And if you follow Jesus, then, then you're going to be the best version of you. You're going to be the best wife, the best husband, the best employee, the best employer, the best student that you can be. As you learn to follow Christ, every other area of life will be shaped. And so this book is about shaping us to be followers of Christ. And in 2024, folks, this is going to be really, really important. Now, I'm riffing now. It's, it's going to be really, really important Our faith is gonna get challenged and we're gonna have to buy in that that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. And there's gonna be a lot of churches that are proclaiming something else, but we're gonna stay committed to this book. I'm first and foremost a follower of Christ as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's my nationality. It's my identity. It's who I am It's the most important thing. Some other stuff gets me all riled up, but this, this is important. And so if we're gonna build on that foundation, we thought it was important to talk about what it is because many of us just glance right by that. And the reason we do that is we really don't understand where it came from. So as we talk about inspiration, there's really one text that's kind of like the foundational text. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There he's talking about all the Old Testament, okay? All the Old Testament's valuable. It's all valuable. But in particular, the phrase we wanna zoom in on is this idea of breathed out by God. You may have a text in front of you that says inspired by God. That's what we're talking about here. And, and this phrase, breathed out, has to do with origin, not method. Catch that. It's origin, not method. Because often when we, re, when we hear this, when we read that all scripture is breathed out by God, 
uh, we'll look at another text here in a second talking about the prophets. We, we mistakenly believe that, that um, as we read it, that somehow, some way, there was a divine encounter and that God used in every instance an experience like Moses had where there was a mountaintop and God met him and God wrote it and God gave it to him and then he moved on. And that only happened to Moses. Only happened to Moses. There's, there's a much more normal way. We read other places in scripture where it just happened like they're people. Because here's what we see throughout scripture. God works through people. God originates, but he works through people. This is a second key text that picking up last week where Mark left off, as it says in first, I mean, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There particular, he's talking about the, not necessarily the written stuff from the prophets, but he's talking about the oral prophets along the way. They were the ones, but the same is true for scripture. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give God's message to God's people. And here's where we often stop. See, proves it, that's done. And we don't think about how it happened or the implications of how it happened. And so that's what what I wanna encourage you. And so instead of having a view that talks about God just, you know, he spoke through human authors, it gives us this misperception of the idea of divine dictation. And there's people out there who believe in divine dictation. We're just not those people. Technically, the view that we believe in is something called verbal. You don't have to remember this, okay? There's no test later. But it's called verbal plenary. In other words, we have the words God intends for us to have, but there's also method that's involved in that. We have the very words in Scripture that God intends for us to have. That's a by-faith kind of belief, that, that it's not just generally concepts, but God worked through human authors, but, but something happens that's far greater than this idea of divine dictation. And so here's my proposition. We need a bigger view of inspiration than divine dictation. Divine dictation makes God very small. You're like, What? If, if, the, if we believe that for us to get the scripture, God was required to take a guy, put him on the mountain and dictate stuff to him and that's all that we have, then, then we have a very small God. But if we have a God who works through all of the experience in a person's life to write and craft and recreate and edit and, and bring it around and, and circle it around. And over a span of time, God's created something that's vastly different and much larger than divine dictation. We believe in a God who used people in process to give us the scriptures. That's the God we read about in the Bible. The God we read about in the Bible from, from after creation, okay, in creation, from there on, okay, after that, the Spirit of God works through people. As we see, the, in the first place that we see that the Spirit working in someone is actually Joseph. That's the first place we see that the Spirit is at work. And then we see a guy building the tabernacle, Bezalel, as he and a bunch of people are, are we read about this in Exodus. If you read through Exodus, as they are chosen by God to create something called the tabernacle, which we talked about is the mobile mountain of God, the meeting place with God where heaven and earth collide, as he empowered them to build that thing, God works through people. And the same is true with the scriptures. 
God worked through people over a thousand years to craft and shape the story that he meant, to ha- meant for us to have. You see, um, the first place in scripture where it says God told somebody to write something down, as we went through Exodus, many of you are already like, oh yeah, I know where that is. That's when God told Moses to write down the 10 commandments. And actually before that, and we zoom through this chapter in Exodus chapter 17, as Moses uh, was um, standing with his hands raised as the children of uh, Israel were battling against um, Amalek, and, and as he raised his hands, they would win. As he dropped his hands, they would lose. As he did that, uh, God said this to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That's the first time God says, write this. Hey, write this, write this down. And so this, this is a very normal kind of thing. This is different than the, like the lone example that we have of God meeting somebody on a mountain and, and just boom, dropping these 10 commandments on him and writing it out for him. That's the, that's the only example in scripture. Every other example is very normal. Write this down. You see, the Bible is both divine and human. It's both divine and human. And when it comes to talking about Jesus, it's, it's not hard for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've, you've likely heard before, he's 100% human and 100% divine. Not 50-50. He's not half human, half divine. He's 100% human, 100% divine. How does that work? We don't know. It's by faith that we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he's 100% human, he's 100% divine, and all God's people said, amen. Yeah, that's right. And now when I say the Bible is both human and divine, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that true? Now, the analogy isn't perfect, okay? No analogy will be perfect. I'm not saying that the scriptures are like Jesus in that sense, but, but yes, Is it a human book? Yes. Is it a divine book? Yes. And God used all the experiences. As we talk about inspiration, God prepared people that they would be at the exact place at the exact time to give the exact message he intended for them to have. And that means God prepared them for a whole life. They had to learn how to read and how to write. They had to learn as they were growing up and they were told and retold the story or or, or as they were were proclaiming the good news about God, as they were calling people maybe as a prophet back into relationship with the covenant God of Israel. They, they, They had to know, like they had to learn somewhere along the way and they had experiences with God along the way also that at the right place, At the right time, they could give the right message that God intended for them to have, and it wasn't an event, it was a process that happened over time. And the story was shaped and reshaped. And so as as I talk about that, there there were people, they were authors, and then along the way, there's people who crafted it and recrafted it and stitched together, and that's why we say it was developed over time. And some of you, this is shocking, because you believe in an event required view of inspiration. And here's where that breaks down. When we encounter the humanness of the scriptures, an event, single event view of inspiration, frankly, falls apart. 
But when we view scripture as God's much bigger than that, and he used people and process and shaped it over time. So, so the original writings that we say that we believe are without error, which we say we believe the Bible is without error in the original writings. And how many of the original writings do we have? Zero. And some of you are saying, Dave, you're supposed to be giving me confidence now, not shaking my confidence. It's going to get better, folks. Because we have answers when, pe- when we encounter the humanness of the text, when we come to the end of Deuteronomy and we believe that Moses was the primary author of, of, of those first five books of the Bible because they point to him and they call him the books of Moses. It, we believe that he, he began, he's the originator of those books, but then we come to the very end of Deuteronomy and we're like, ain't no way he could write about being dead. It requires that we have a bigger view. And so when we talk about original writings, the best description of it that I've heard is this, that it's when God finished the process of developing the story the way that he wanted it to develop, that's the original writing. And from that point on, God has entrusted humans to pass it down through the generations. That's what we believe that the original is the story that God intended to tell. And and we don't have any originals, but people over time have been incredibly faithful in passing down God's story from generation to generation. See, inspiration occurred over time as part of a process and God entrusted people to copy the text through history. That's how we got the scriptures. And so why not just say God wrote the Bible? Because it gives the the misconception that that somehow, some way, God dropped this book out of heaven. And there's some faiths who believe that God gave them holy books like they dropped it out of heaven. That's not us. We're not those people. Our God's bigger than that. Our God works through people and time and process in order to give us the scriptures that lead us to Jesus. So we're briefly gonna cover, some of you are like, this is Bible geek enough. We're gonna go further. And so um, I'm gonna talk about Bible timelines and development. And this is very complicated, straight up. It's very complicated. This is is, um, the ultra, you're like, some of you are like, ooh, this doesn't seem so simple. But this is the ultra simple condensed version, and it's approximate, okay? I wanna be clear. Those of you who are into this, you're gonna be like, oh, that happened in this year. I'm just saying it's approximate, okay? And, and it's, it's super cool, all right? So as we go, as we jump into this timeline, we're gonna start back in 3000 BC. And, and, and so the Egyptians are not the people who invented writing in pictures. They didn't invent that, but, but the Egyptians wrote in pictures. They wrote in emojis, and you've seen it, it's called hieroglyphics, that they recorded their history, they, they recorded transactions, they told stories in pictures. Like, we're back to, you know, like, hey, we've come so far. We went back 5,000 years in time, and we speak in emojis once again. But then, by 1700 BC, there's a, 
there's um, people that have taken out of the Egyptian language and they've developed an alphabet and no longer are they communicating in pictures and those, there's a couple different ways that they would communicate in those pictures, but, but now they're communicating in specific words. And in order to communicate in specific words, they develop an alphabet that allows for them to make sounds as they give a letter, a sound, so that they can build words, the words that they already speak. And, and often I use the example, I talk about ancient people were really smart, they invented math. Ancient people are really smart, they invented writing in alphabets. The early people were really smart. They invented writing in pictures. Amazing. Okay. So that's around like 1700 BC. Now... The Exodus happens, and there's two views, 14 or 1200 BC. They're in the 1400s or 1200s. They, they, there's two different views, okay? And, and it may even be that more people believe the 1400 than the 1200, but somewhere around that time, the Exodus occurs. And, and the, the people of God have a, a preliminary version of Hebrew. This is not the final Hebrew that we have today. There's a, there's a, it's called a proto, right? It's a proto kind of like there's a, there's a Hebrew script that emerges. And, and we have found examples of Hebrew writing that are like 1000 BC and earlier now. And they find them on little, little bits of clay, and they find this stuff and they're like, wow, this is Hebrew writing. And then they date it and they're like, oh, this goes way back in time. And so by, by 1000 BC, we already are seeing that the Hebrew language exists. And so between 1400 and, and 200 BC, God's story is shaped so that by the days in which Jesus lives, he refers to the scriptures as the law the prophets, and the Psalms, which is another way of referring to the writings. That's already the way that the Hebrew people are referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the Psalms, the prophets, and the writings. So often they would just say also maybe the Psalms, I mean, sorry, the, the law and the prophets. He says the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. They're already recognized that there's a structure to the Hebrew text. So, so somewhere between 400 and 200, they, they decide now that they have to take this Hebrew text and, and the language that they speak in the day is Greek. And so they develop a translation. Now, what happens sometimes is there's, there's urban legends that emerge, okay? There's urban legends that emerge, and there's a legend that has emerged. Scholars don't believe this is true or the way that it actually happened, but this is connected to why you see this uh, 200 BC LXX. LXX is the Roman numeral 70. And the reason that this Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, that also means 70, that, that this Greek... Uh, Old Testament is called 70 is because legend says that there were 70 or 72, according to the, which tradition you're from, scholars, Hebrew scholars, who they, they went away. They each took a copy of the Hebrew text and they went away and they translated the Hebrew text. And some people would say maybe it was just Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they went away for 70 days, and when they came back together, those 70 or 72 scholars had an identical Greek translation that, that had happened over time. 
okay? I mean, I mean it just happened. Like, like they went away, they translated 70 days, they came back and they had 70 identical copies, okay? That's urban legend, okay? That's not, people don't actually believe that's the way that happened, okay? That's a, that's a great story, that's a great story. But the truth is better than the story, okay? What emerged was a group of writings that were, that were a translation of the Hebrew text, and then there was also this thing called the Second Temple Writings that they talked about in the Bible Project video. And those Second Temple Writings, a lot of them, the majority of which were only in Greek. And this became the Bible that the New Testament authors used that they reference more than 80% of the time in the New Testament when they make a quote of the Old Testament, they're using a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, which we can date back to 200 BC. And then what happens? So Jesus is on the scene. The Jewish leaders are like, Okay, they're using this Greek Bible to, as an apologetic. They're connecting the dots for people. They're using this translation to show that, that Jesus is Messiah. We need our own Bible. And so by 100 AD, this group of uh, scholars called the Masoretes emerge. And the reason you need to know LXX and MT, it's going to become really important if you ever look in the notes of your Old Testament. All the time, they're saying things like the Hebrew says or the LXX says. There's also a lot of other manuscripts that are in there, but we only have time for these two. It's in your notes, in your Bible. They're telling you, hey, this translation said this, but this said that. And so when you wonder how like Bible translators are making decisions, what's that little note? Some of you are like, I never even looked at the notes. There's notes. Yeah, there's little notes every time. They like, there's a little note right there. They're telling you what's going on. They're not trying to trick you. They're not trying to fake you out. And so what ends up happening is the Masoretes develop a process of passing the scriptures down from generation to generation. Now, anything that you've ever heard about rabbis and the way that they would copy texts, it's all from 100 AD and on. From 100 AD on. And it really, it's between 500 and 900 AD, this group of Masoretes passed the scriptures along from generation to generation. So that by 1008 AD, that there's a whole Hebrew Old Testament completely intact that we have to this day that this book is based upon. What I hold in my hand is a book called BHS, not gonna give you the real name because it's whatever. And just call it BHS, and it's important because when you look in the front of your Bible, it's going to tell you that they used BHS as the text basis of your Old Testament. And this is a copy of the Masoretic text from 1008 AD. So anybody who says that they took your Bible and they edited verses out of your Bible and they edited this down. I get these people. Okay, I looked at some weird stuff for this series on... um, YouTube, man, there's crazy out there, okay? Be careful, there's all kinds of crazy. But right now, my social media feed, it's filled with crazy. We are not conspiracy theory people. 
We're not. Some of you are like, well, I, I, I might be. No, we're not. <laughs> and especially when it comes to the Bible. Nobody is trying to edit down God's word in order that you would be tricked. And, and so they're very transparent about what they're doing. Very transparent about what they're doing. And every time that they find something new, there's people who love the scriptures more than you. They've given their lives to studying ancient languages that are like, like it's a lot. They've given their lives to studying ancient texts in order to do what? To trick you into editing out parts of your Bible? And the answer is no. That we would keep becoming more and more, that we would discover over time a a copy of the Bible that's as close to the original text that we can get. And while we don't have a perfect copy, they're really, really good. They're really, really good. And we're going to connect the idea of inerrancy and authority in the coming weeks. And, And having a big view of the scriptures and inspiration, it's not threatened by the fact that we just have really, really good copies. When we build our our faith upon what's true and not on urban legend and not on some idea that that God can only work through an event at one point in time and that somehow through some mysterious way, there's this book that we have today that, that it's better than that. Because God's still at work telling his story through you in the same way. He's not writing scripture. Let me be really clear. God is is not writing scripture, but he's still at work through you telling his story. And when we have a big view of inspiration and God uses all the events in somebody's life in order that he would deliver the message at the right time in the right place. And for the authors of scripture, it was to put it in writing that we would have today. We have the Bible God intends for us to have today. It's by faith that we have to believe that, okay? By faith, we believe we have the Bible God intends for us to have today. But it's also by faith that we believe as we go through our week that God is actually active in our our lives, that we would be people proclaiming his story, not just to people who don't know him, but to each other. That he's still at work telling his story through scripture, through us, through the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. He puts us in the right place at the right time with the right people, with the right experience in order that we would proclaim his story. That's the story here. It's the story of your life too. God just used normal people to write a book. Now they had a special part. I can't wait to meet some of them, all right? I mean, they, they got a special part in God's story. Be like, how did that actually all function? You guys invented language, man. Who did that? Who invented the Hebrew? Who, who here invented the Hebrew letter alphabet, right? And then which, which one of you here took that initial alphabet and made it the square block text that we have today? Who did that? Their names aren't in the book. It's amazing. What God has given us is amazing. And, and, and we can trust it to build our lives upon it. Now, why does it matter? It's important that we would remember, okay? First of all, we are Jesus worshipers, not Bible worshipers, okay? We are Jesus worshipers, not Bible worshipers. The scriptures point us to Jesus. 
And, and as we're praying through Psalm 119 this week, we're gonna try and bring to mind, hopefully you've already been doing this on your own, but we're now this week, we're gonna prompt you as we pray about God's word. And some of you are like, oh my, I opted out on that. That got too repetitive. Uh, I can't believe it. I mean, it's just the same thing over and over again, 22 stanzas on one topic. And if you're, if you're getting bored to death and, and you're like the monotony, the repetition is, is, is killing me, I'm gonna invite you this week, tell that to God. He didn't make an accident with Psalm 119. It is the most amazing. And he used an incredible poet or poets to write it. They didn't make a mistake. And so sometimes it's about, God, expand my view of you. I'm bored right now. Remind me, bring to mind. And when you start connecting Jesus as the living word, to what this author is talking about and the scriptures, all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, your law is perfect. His name is Jesus and I follow him. The Torah is complete in Jesus. Jesus is the completion of the first five books of the Bible. He's the completion of Torah. This matters because how we tell God's story is all based out of how God's story begins. Now. There's a book, it's actually available, you can get the PDF for free called uh, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. It's not in print anymore, but if you Google it, you can get the PDF and download it for free. And in that, that book has been very influential for me and I've, I've read it and reread it and it's messed me up. All that to say, they say this, if we wanna really understand Paul's writing, they say, the solution to understanding Paul's use of the Torah is to begin with a close reading of the Torah itself. Often believers think they can understand Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, only through the New Testament writings. We believe this equation should be reversed. Only when we have given careful attention to the meaning of the Tanakh can we understand the New Testament writings. We're gonna talk about that. Man, I'm excited about this year. Teaching team met this week. We talked about kind of a, a concept for the year and, and we're always wide open to go wherever God sends us, but it's also good for us to see like, where are you gonna send us over this next year? And we're gonna be, we're gonna cover a vast amount of scripture over the coming year, but, but books that you just fly right by, whew, fly right over that book. We're gonna, we're gonna look at those books this year so that we would be people who have a, a, an understanding of, of the scriptures, not just so that we understand the scriptures, so we can know more and more what it looks like for us to be followers of Jesus in the days in which we live. Because we believe God has given us scripture to lead us to Jesus, and we believe once we've met Jesus, he's given us scripture in order that we could follow Jesus. So this week, in the Live It Out, Actively engage. If you disengaged, re-engaged. If you've never engaged before, engage. We're committed to making this thing simple, daily, and doable. You can do it. You can do it. If you're like, it's too simple, do it in something else. But do it because it's something that we're doing together. If you want to go further in understanding how the Bible Project approaches the Bible, there's a podcast series that's 14 episodes long called the Paradigm Series. It's in the resources on the bottom of your page, and it's on the bottom of Live It Out. You can go further there. But mostly what we want to do this week is ask Jesus, where can I tell your story? Where can I tell your story? 
Where are you inviting me to tell your story? Not just to people who don't know him, but with each other, in your family, in your groups, in, the, in your workspace. What does it look like for us to be a people who are meditating upon the word of God? That's just not like some moment. It's telling and retelling God's story in my mind and to others. How do I, oh yeah, I, I, I tell and retell God's story. That's how we meditate upon scripture. What we're gonna do right now in every venue is we're gonna worship. God is amazing. And he's pointed us to Jesus and we are Jesus worshipers. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna worship Jesus. I'm gonna invite you to stand everywhere. Father, we're grateful that you have made us to be people who represent you to the world. And, and in this moment, we're just so grateful that you've revealed yourself through scripture. You've pointed us to Jesus. And we ask for Holy Spirit for you to help us to worship Jesus in this moment. It's in his name that we pray, amen.